Today in Flex in the City, we interview Jim Fitzpatrick, president and CEO of Nixa, where Jim asked the powerful coaching question to the industry, where are we going, and see his passion and purpose in bringing diversity and inclusion to the industry. Tune in to find out what financial services can learn from Tiger Woods and the great game of golf. All that happening right now in Flex and the City. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Rachel Treese on Flex in the City. And today I have the very great pleasure to be interviewing, speaking to the president and CEO of Nixa. That is Jim Fitzpatrick. Good afternoon, Jim. Good afternoon, Rachel. Thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. And, and so for the benefit of everybody out there, for all of our list, listeners, do you want to just tell them a little bit about um, who, who Nixa is and, and what exactly you, you do? Sure. Um, and again, thanks for having me. Uh, Nixa is a global asset management trade association, and we work with the industry to enhance leading practices, help educate and train employees on uh, new issues, current issues, uh, new regulatory issues and challenges that are facing the industry. And we work collaboratively with all of our members in the pursuit of those best practices. Absolutely. So your North Star is really a bit like ours, making financial services a better place to, to be in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I'd love to know a little bit about your background and your career in the financial services industry. Sure. So I, I actually started right out of university in the financial services industry, in the mutual fund industry, if you will. And the organizations that I work for were always part of Nixa. And so I started to participate in Nixa events very early on in my career uh, and was yeah. active and engaged with Nixa through, you know, 30 plus years of my career. Um, in the latter half, I actually spent six years on the board of Nixa and I retired a few years ago and was approached about the possibility of coming back and leading the organization as president and CEO. And given my familiarity with the organization and with many of the member firms, I thought it was really a terrific way to stay involved in the industry uh, and in some way give back to the industry in terms of trying to help it continue to grow and mature and evolve uh, over time. And it's been a lot of fun and you know, I enjoy it every day. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit more. I'm curious. As you know, I'm a coach like you, Jim. What really motivates you? What's your North Star? What's your purpose? Um, why do you get out of bed and do what you do for Nixa? Uh, well, I, I would describe myself as a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always been intellectually curious about things. And during my career in the industry, uh, you know, I've always described my experiences as really, really only doing two things. One was either fixing things or two was building things. And when I retired from the industry, you know, as you referenced, you know, I started an executive coaching practice. Uh, and I enjoyed working with a, a really a, a wide variety of clients in different industries mm -hmm. uh, and learning about those. And then, you know, when I had the opportunity to come back uh, to Nixa and uh, and align myself again with the industry that I spent my my entire career in, um, I thought it was uh, quite an interesting opportunity to lead an organization uh, not not from an operations perspective or not from a distribution perspective. Yeah, but really from a strategic leadership perspective in terms of helping the industry evolve, right, in, in a number of different fronts. And so I viewed that as a real challenge and opportunity. Uh, and like I say, it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful experience to date. Fantastic. And if you were um, putting your executive coaching hat on, um, Jim, what's the powerful question you'd ask the industry? 
um, I'd say, you know, where are we going, right? Especially in this environment, right? Mm. We've, uh, you know, 2020, um, I think will prove to be a year like no other that many of us have experienced in our lives, uh, between COVID, uh, and the, uh, and the social injustice issues, you know, that have, uh, have, mm. have come up over the course of the last several months. And it's, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to deal with those issues? and evolve as an industry and as individual organizations. Absolutely. So, so that leads me on to, to perhaps asking you a little bit about personally, in your own career, who, who has inspired you as, as a leader? So, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And my question might be maybe a little bit unusual. I've had the opportunity to work in, in a couple of great organizations and been surrounded by and work with and work for uh, some people who I would consider to be great leaders, great managers, but there's no one person, you know, that I would really point to that say, that's the person that really inspired me to be who I am or had go in the direction that I am. Uh, instead, what I tried to do through my career, and um, if there are younger professionals, you know, listening to the podcast, this is one of the uh, pieces of advice I would give you if I was mentoring you. Right is to really watch and observe leaders, right, and try to take the the skills and attributes that you think are the best from them and incorporate those into your style. Um, and also, as important, to observe the the things or the situations where um, you don't think they handled it quite as well as they should have, right, or have a skill or trait that you don't think is a positive one, and be aware of that and, and try to, um, you know, try to make sure that those don't find their way into your leadership style. And again, I've had the opportunity to work for really two great organizations in my career with great leaders that, you know, I, I was certainly influenced by and learned a lot from. Absolutely. And I see you very much as a, as a leader, as coach, Jen. Um, but have you learned um, anything from from leaders of the past? Is, is there a new skill set that is needed by leaders of the future in financial services? Well, I, you know, I think what um, I would probably describe myself in the early days of my career as probably being an old school manager, right? maybe an old school leader. Uh, but certainly today, right, we need people that are relatable, right? Mm -hmm. People who are authentic. Where who people can connect with uh, the organization, the people in the organization, and you know I think people need to be very good communicators. And uh, and like I say, I, I think authenticity. Uh, we use that now a lot in, in several different situations. But you know I think as a leader of an organization, uh, you you really need to be authentic and able to connect with the workforce so that people understand you know who you are. Right. And more importantly, you know who they are and that you're all trying to achieve the same objectives for the organization. And if I was to ask, you know, who is the authentic Jim? Who's the really authentic Jim as a leader? Um, what would you say? What are those traits, Jim? I think I'm very transparent. I've, uh, you know, I think I've always been a good communicator, but I'm very much a straight shooter. And, you know, I've, I've believed in feedback. Uh, my entire career, and you know, I've always liked and appreciated getting and receiving feedback. And as a manager and leader, I've always, I've always tried to give people feedback on a regular basis, right? Which is really why the coaching element really, you know, I, I really uh, gravitated towards that initially when I first retired. 
uh, in that, you know, our job as leaders and managers every day is to make people better, right? Every day. Um, it's not something that you do once or twice a year during a review. And, uh, and I think that, you know, that's something that I try to do both, both, uh, positively and constructively with, with people on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I like to have fun. I'd like to keep things in perspective. And, uh, I think I do that a lot better today than I did, you know, maybe in the early days of my career. Um, and what can a leadership coaching culture do for financial services? How can it make it, um, uh, perform better. What, what's your view on that, Jim? Uh, in terms of how coaching can how, make the industry better, how leaders as coaches in 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 financial services organisations can help make them perform better. Well, I think if you make an analogy of business to sports, mm. right, it's probably very clear for people. Right? If you look at lots of other industries, right, people have coaches. Yeah, and. Right. It's, it's not, you know, even though business coaches and executive coaches is a relatively new, you know, practice, you know, say over the last 20 years, you know, I think if you think about leaders being responsible for performance of the organization, right? It, to me, it's a, it's a very simple, you know, analogy, right? Where you're trying to make the organization perform better every day and you're trying to make individuals perform better every day. So coaching, providing feedback, guidance, direction, right, communication uh, is critical. And I think that in, in, the, in the society we're in today, and you'll see, I just think you'll see that continue to evolve and change, especially in, in kind of the post-COVID world, right, which I hope comes sooner rather than later, right? We're going to have a more distributed workforce than we ever have before, right? I do think people will return to the office, right, at some point. But I'm not sure that the numbers will return, right, uh, at the same level as, as pre-COVID. Uh, and so we'll have a more distributed workforce and, you know, the ability to connect and communicate uh, and manage your organization so that you can continue to perform at a high level is going to be even more important going forward than it has been in the past. Absolutely. Which leads me on when we're talking about performance of organizations in the changing world. I know that's something that's very dear to your heart. Uh, um, James, that you're very passionate about diversity and inclusion uh, for financial services. So, so, so why is it so important um, for financial services? Well, first of all, maybe let me start from a personal perspective. Uh, and again, tying back to my lifelong leader learning comment, you know, as I you know, dealt with a lot of these issues in my career you know, over the last couple of decades, what's really become important, what, what allowed me to really think about it in a different light is the fact that you know, I have four children, but three are daughters, right? And I certainly wouldn't want my daughters to be restricted in terms of any opportunity that they wanted to pursue, regardless of what industry they went into, right? Just because of their gender, mm -hmm. right? And, and so that certainly gave me reason to think a little bit differently about, or actually start to think about things, because sometimes if it doesn't affect you, you just don't pay attention to it, right? And so it's more, it's more unconscious than, 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 than a conscious decision not to think about it. Um, and so from a personal standpoint, certainly, you know, having three daughters, you know, allows me to think about that in a much different way. Um, and, but, you know, from a diversity standpoint, right? I mean, everybody's read all the reports and surveys about more diverse teams, uh, you know, are, are more engaging organizations are more effective. Companies are technically more 
uh, you know, leads to better employee retention and engagement, right? And so I think, you know, I think those things, as people accept that, right, and, and, re- and realize that you have the benefits of a diverse organization, um, you know, we'll continue to, you know, pursue those types of opportunities going forward, right? I think many organizations, especially in our industry, right, are global. And, you know, I think you want your workforce to reflect that of your client base, right? And, um, and you see organizations working very hard at trying to, to, to make that happen, right? And, um, again, I think 2020 would be a year of, um, you know, of change and acceleration in that regard. You know, we're seeing that with our diversity project initiative that we launched in October of 2018. Um, and, you know, as we have more organizations looking to join and get involved, um, uh, in, in, in our diversity project initiative. That's fantastic, Jim, and great that Nick's were doing something to really support that uh, agenda. So what do you think the future of financial services really looks like? What's your vision for financial services? What's your prophecy for financial services? Uh, <laughs> I saw that smile, Jim. I saw that smile. Yeah, yeah. That is, I, I, wish, I wish I knew. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, the industry is, is going to fundamentally change in a couple of areas as a result of 2020. Right. Mm. Um, and, and again, I think it's, I think it's an acceleration on the diversity front, right? Because there's been a lot of effort, right? Over the course of several years on the diversity and inclusion front, right? And, and many people would say a lot of discussion, not a lot of action, right? Mm. But I, I think you're going to see a lot more action in the, in the years ahead, um, you know, on the diversity front. And, and we hope that. Nixa is going to be alongside our member firms and uh, as a catalyst in making some of those changes happen, right? But I think from a workforce standpoint, right, we're going to see a continued evolution to uh, the reliance on technology, mm-hmm. right? Data science, right? So it's the, that, that the, the technology implications for our industry are going to continue to grow. I, I also think that as I said, I think the workforce uh, composition is going to change as well, right? And I think the remote workforce, the virtual workforce, right, that'll be probably a bigger element of organizations uh, going forward. I also think if you think about functions like uh, distribution, where yeah. they traditionally have had you know, institutional salespeople or wholesalers uh, on the road, Calling on advisors and, and, and clients and consultants uh, on a daily basis, and now that's all virtual. Right? I think there's going to be an element of that that will permanently change, right? yeah. and people will, will again rely on uh, the technology, or maybe leverage the technology as opposed to rely on, it, but leverage the technology um, to change the workforce to be more uh, to be more effective. You know, in an environment where obviously there continues to be a lot of cost pressure. Right, uh, on the industry, uh, you know, on a global basis. Absolutely. So thank you, Jim. So I'm going to segue into the fact that I know you are an athlete, um, and, and that previously you were big into ice hockey, I understand. I was. I was when I was younger. I don't play any longer, but I you don't played, play any longer. Yeah, not any longer, but I played all through, uh, uh, all through university and probably up until I was about 30 years old. Fantastic. And, and now you are an avid golfer, I believe. I, I am. I love, love, love to play and enjoy the game. So, so what's your big prediction for the U.S. Open? 
Um, I think the scores are going to be high, as they usually are at the U.S. Open. And uh, as always, I'm hoping that Tiger comes out on top. Absolutely. But, uh, so for those of you listening to the podcast, you'll know whether his prediction comes true, as this will air after the U.S. Open. So, so tell me, what can financial services learn from the game of golf? You know, I think, you know, golf, golf is a game that uh, is unique to most other sports in that you, you play, while you play with other people, right, you're a one, you're a one person team, right? Because mm. it's, it's, it's your score against everybody else. But interestingly, there's also no officiating, right? For the most part, the rules are enforced by the player themselves. Right? And I think when you think about the industry, uh, you know, from a compliance standpoint, right, and a performance standpoint, right, we're all responsible for our own performance on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and I think the, the the parallels of the competition and compliance and performance are all, you know, very similar in that regard. I know, again, the, the organizations that I work for and many of our member firms in the organization uh, take you know, reputational responsibility and compliance very, very seriously uh, and are obviously trying to be the best in their field from a competitive standpoint. Uh, and so I think there's 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 a lot to learn. Uh, and I think the, those two aspects uh, probably jump to the front of mind uh, with regard to, uh, you know, with regard to our industry. Yeah. So really individual responsibility is, 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 is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to look at it. Right, thank you. And so just to conclude, you are about to have your annual general membership meeting for, for next year, I believe, on October the 7th to the 9th. How is it going to be different this year, Jim? What's going to be different? What can you tell our listeners who may be interested in coming along to, to the meeting? Well, the most obvious thing, Rachel, is that it's going to be virtual this year, right? And it's, it'll be the first virtual event uh, that NICSA ever produces. Um, I think we'll produce virtual events in the future as part of our offering going forward. Uh, but we're excited. Uh, we think we've created a great digital platform to deliver the experience. Uh, and we have, uh, we have the agenda set up in such a way that we're dealing with, you know, the human element, um, on day one and the organizational elements on day two. And then, you know, the strategic, uh, elements on day three with, um, you know, and we have two, we have uh, 39 speakers lined up, uh, over the course of the three days, a terrific lineup, uh, that will conclude with me interviewing Jamie Diamond in a fireside chat, uh, from Jamie, from JP. Oh, Jordan. wow. I wish I was there with you. Well, I could be there, couldn't I? Well, you could, you could be there with us virtually. Yeah. So, but we have, you know, we have 39 great speakers and, and great content mm-hmm. planned. Uh, and if anybody is interested, you know, you can certainly reach out to, uh, info at nixa.org. And we're mm-hmm. certainly happy to follow up with you to see how you can get involved if you're interested. That's brilliant. Um, Jim Fitzpatrick, who is the president and CEO of Nixa, thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom and your anecdotes about leadership in the financial services industry on Flex in the City. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Appreciate it. You just listened to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.